any good writer will tell you that the key to writing a good story or telling a good story is that you have to have a good beginning. You have to, you have, to have something to, to get people's attention, right? It's like fishing. I don't know if any of you are fishermen. If you enjoy fishing, but you can't just go and throw the hook out in the water, can you? I don't think you can. I'm not a fisherman, so I don't know. But usually when I've fished in the past and I've talked to people about fishing, they talk about the importance of having good bait. So it's got to have something that's got to have either a good smell or a good look, something to get their attention. Some uh, types of bait make a noise when you move it in the water that attracts fish, but there's got to be something to make that fish attracted to the bait and then they come and then you set that hook and you reel them in well in the same way you, you have to do that with a story right there's got to be something at the beginning that is interesting that that makes you want to know more as we began our study through mark's gospel last week we mentioned that mark is telling a story but he's doing much more than that isn't he he's not just telling a story he's not just writing a, a biography but he's writing an account of the greatest man who's ever lived that's quite a task isn't it he calls it good news i wonder why Surely one reading that first line in Mark would be intrigued to continue on, wouldn't they, and find out, well, okay, what is so good? What is the news that is so good that Mark wants to tell us about? Now, maybe you haven't read it. Maybe you have. I'm going to assume that most of you have, have read some of it, that there is a certain familiarity with uh, if not Mark's story, some aspect of the gospel. I hope you will actually read through it often as we're working our way through it. It's going to take us several weeks, several months. I don't know how long. It'll take us a while. Let me encourage you. It's 16 chapters. Read through it. Maybe not in one sitting, but read through it. It might take you a, a, a few minutes here and a few minutes there, but read through it regularly so that you're familiar with it. But I want you to understand why it's so significant that Mark begins calling this good news. Is it good news to you? Why or why not if it's not? <laughs> what we'll see is that Mark is able to relate this good news he's actually able to tell a great story because there's a lot of uh, the the different aspects to this story that are quite familiar to his first readers not that the original readers knew jesus maybe they did maybe they didn't but they did know israel's history israel's scriptures and Mark's introduction shows how this person that he's talking about, Jesus, follows a pattern in Israel's history and is the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. 
So to begin this morning, as we consider Mark's introduction to his gospel, I want to ask you this. Mark's story begins by showing a, a great resemblance to a, a great Old Testament event. Do you know what Old Testament event I'm referring to? And second, and of most importance, why is that important for us sitting in this room here today or those who are listening on Facebook Live? This event that Mark is referring to here in his introduction, what event is he talking about and why is it so important for us? Well, I want us to begin this morning by considering our first of three headings, which is a new beginning, a new beginning. We began this journey last week, and we made note of the fact of some key terms in verse 1, such as gospel and what it means for Jesus to be the Christ as well as the Son of God. Now, gospel, as we know, means good news, right? Mark is telling us that he's got some good news. Why do we need good news? Well, that must mean that there is bad news, and there is, right? <laughs> Man is dead in his trespasses and sins. He's in bondage to the world, and he cannot escape. And he deserves and will indeed receive eternal hell apart from an act of God. And guess what? God has acted. That's what Mark's story is about. God has acted and he has sent his son, Jesus. This is the good news. And Jesus is the Christ. We talked about that word, how the, the Christ is literally the anointed one. And if you know Israel's scriptures, you know that that means someone who was set aside by God for a particular service, like a prophet or a priest or a king. They were literally anointed with oil. Oil was poured over them, signifying the Spirit of God coming on that person to uh, enable them to carry out the mission that God has for them. This is who Jesus is, Mark says. Mark's story has a turning point, a turning point in history. I would say that it is the quintessential turning point in history, is it not? And as such, we notice something here that I'm calling a new beginning. A new beginning. I want us to turn our attention to a word that we did not look at last week. And this introduction here. Uh, to Mark's gospel may seem a little bit strange to us English readers. But I want you to look there again with me in verse 1. Just the first part of it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the gospel. And I want us to focus here for a moment on this word, beginning. Now, if you and I are reading a story, or maybe a biography, uh, we might be inclined to read something like, now our story begins this way or something like that. Well, that's not really what Mark is doing. That's a, 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 an American or a Western convention. Uh, Mark, this beginning that he is speaking of, 
Uh, well, well, what is it? Well, we might be inclined to think that he's speaking of a new creation. Maybe we think of John's gospel. Uh, all of us are familiar with the way John begins his gospel, right? Probably many of us have, have memorized the first verse in John. In the beginning, like Mark here, beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know, reading John's gospel, that he's making allusions to the original creation, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. And all things came into existence through him, John says. Speaking of new creation, uh, he's the light that shines in the darkness. So our, our imaginations go back to that first day of creation, right? Where there was light in the darkness. And so John is clearly presenting to us a new creation. But is this what Mark is doing as he is using the, the same word, beginning? Well, I don't think it is. Because there's no reference to creation or things being made or light in the darkness. In the original Greek, the word that is used here signals the commencement of something. And often in the sense of a person with whom that process begins. So something new is beginning but not a new creation. No, I think Mark has another type of beginning in mind. Well, what is it? What, what is this new beginning that he's talking about, and how do we find out? Well, I think his opening words are a hint at how we are to, to put all of this together. There, there's, uh, as we work our way through this, what we're going to see is that there's pieces of a puzzle that we take and put together. And I want us to recognize that there is a prophetic association here from the get-go in Mark's gospel. That is, a connection to the Old Testament prophets that he does not want us to miss. And it's actually found in this First verse. Now, of course, we know what's in the second and third verse, right? Because we have these quotations. But in the first verse, we, we have this opening, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ that parallels very closely the opening to an Old Testament prophet. And it's actually the prophet Hosea, which begins his book this way. The beginning of the word of the Lord to Hosea. I think what Mark is doing is I want you to kind of make a connection between what I'm doing and kind of like you're reading an Old Testament prophet. What we're going to see here is that Mark will rely heavily on the prophets, especially the prophet Isaiah. We've had a couple of readings this morning from the prophet Isaiah. We cannot go through Mark's gospel without knowing and understanding what was going on in Isaiah. We're going to learn a lot about Isaiah as we go through this book. So this new beginning that Mark is talking about is, is not uh, new in the sense that he's writing a new story from scratch. He's presenting something, not that he came up with, but something that has its roots in the Old Testament, in the prophet's. 
Now, the events that he is going to record for us are real events. This is real history that happened. And Mark knows because there was an eyewitness, remember? He has worked closely with the Apostle Peter who has told him all about these things. But his story is not grounded, listen, it is not grounded primarily in the eyewitness account, but in Israel's scripture. Mark is writing about a fulfillment. We can say that the old proclaims the new. This is a new beginning, but it has roots that are very, very old. I think it was Augustine who has been attributed to this, this statement. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. Maybe you've heard that. And so we must conclude that we cannot study any part of Mark's gospel or really any part of the New Testament without consulting the Old Testament. That's two-thirds of Scripture. Now, I know that in some circles it's very popular to dismiss the Old Testament. Uh, a preacher a couple of years ago said something to the effect of we've got to unhitch the Christian faith from the Old Testament. <laughs> what a hideous thing to say. I wonder what Mark would have thought about that as he begins his story with, with these quotations and allusions to the prophets of the Old Testament. I wonder what Jesus would have said about that. Remember after Jesus was risen... Luke 24 records a story where Jesus uh, catches up with these two men who are on this journey to the town of Emmaus. And Jesus is walking with them and they're talking. He says, what are you talking about? Oh, you haven't heard all this stuff? The, the town's in an uproar. Uh, this person, Jesus, has supposedly come back from the dead. And Jesus, for a, for a moment, plays like he doesn't know what they're talking about. Now listen, brothers and sisters, that night they sit down and have a fellowship meal and Jesus reveals himself to them. But before he did that, on that journey, Luke tells us that as Jesus was walking with them, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he revealed to them the things concerning himself. Unhitch. From the Old Testament? That's folly. Near blasphemy if it's not. <laughs> Mark would never think that. Jesus would never think that. If we're going to understand what this new beginning is that, that Mark is going to tell us about, we have to have the clues from the Old Testament that will tell us and so I want to elaborate on this, following up with this new beginning. I want to make a point about an ancient promise. An ancient promise. We could say promises, but in a sense it's singular. It, it all involves the gospel. It all involves Jesus. Uh, notice again. Mark's words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I shared with you Hosea 1 verse 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord to Hosea. 
Now, in light of that similarity and that hint and our quest to find out what Mark means by beginning, let's consider the first part of verse 2, which says, As is written in Isaiah the prophet, and let's just stop right there. As is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now, we've got, admittedly, a little bit of work to do because this is kind of a, uh, a difficult text in a couple of ways. And one of the ways that we're going to, to be challenged here is to make sure that we understand what Mark means when he writes, as it is written. Now, immediately after that phrase, he mentions Isaiah and either the prophet or the prophets. It could be either one. There's a variant. Everybody know what I mean by variant? There are some, some uh, old manuscripts that say the prophets, some that say the prophets. Which one is it? Well, I think we'll figure it out here in just a moment, and it only makes sense in one way. But with regard to as it is written, we must recognize that this phrase points us back to verse 1. That's Mark's opening statement, verse 1. And so he says what he says about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written. In other words, I'm making this statement, this very first statement that I'm making here to tell you this story about Jesus based on what has been written. This phrase, as it is written, points us back to verse 1. Now, I'll say that because lots of times preachers, uh, when they're talking about this passage, commentaries that are talking about this passage will say that this is pointing ahead to these passages and to John the Baptist that's talked about in verses 4 through 8. Just as it is written never functions that way. You make a statement and this is what the New, New Testament writers do. They make a statement, and then when they say, just as it is written, that means that what I'm about to share backs up what I've said. So the quotes that Mark has in verses 2 and 3 are related to what he has said in verse 1. Everybody with me? Okay. Now, that's not to say that John the Baptist uh, is not important and plays a, an important role here in this first chapter of Mark. I mean, we know that, right? Acts 19.4, Paul is, is preaching and said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So we know that John has a, a preparatory role. I don't even know if that's a word. Is it preparatory? I don't think that is. You know what I mean, though. <laughs> we can invent words, can't we? But the function of this phrase that it is written is not to point ahead. It's to introduce something, but it's pointing back to what has already been said, meaning that what Mark records as written in the prophets in verse 2 and 3 substantiates and confirms his opening sentence, that this beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is something that was written about. So, we have to take a look at these verses now, don't we? 
But first, the variant, as I mentioned, we have a variant. If you have a good Bible, it probably has a little number there and then a note down at the bottom that says, okay, there are some manuscripts that say this, some manuscripts that say that. Don't let a variant rattle you and throw you off track. That's not what it's there. It's just an explanatory note. When you work your way through the passage, you'll see which one makes sense. I think you will after we talk about this, okay? I think it's probably best to understand Mark to mean not Isaiah the prophet, but Isaiah and the prophets. Or maybe if we were to do this in English, uh, Isaiah dash and the prophets and then continue. Something like that, okay? We know that he means more than one, and I'll explain why in a minute, because he quotes more than one, right? He doesn't just quote Isaiah. In fact, as we press on into this next uh, verse, and, and bear in mind, by my reading, he's already pointed us back to Hosea in the way that he's introduced his gospel. So he's pointing us back to the prophets. And then he has this quote, and this quote comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Now, we're going to get to the messenger part of this in just a moment, but first I want to focus on the second part, who will prepare your way. What is meant by this phrase? Well, to answer this, we have to consider what was going on with Malachi. Now, if you'll remember, Malachi was a prophet who uh, was ministering after the exile. If you remember your Old Testament history, uh, the people of Judah, uh, Jerusalem, were uh, unfaithful, worshiping idols. And God said, I'm going to send the Babylonians. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to carry you away. And this happens. Now, when Malachi comes along, this is after that period. Many of them have come back. The temple has been rebuilt, but it, it's not going the way that they thought it was going according to the prophets that work, worked before Malachi, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, who had predicted this great restoration. They came back and built the temple, remember? And do you remember how uh, there's a place in Scripture that tells us, uh, describes what the old people thought of the temple? What did they think? They were sad when they saw this new rebuilt temple because it didn't look anything like the old one. The old temple that Solomon built was glorious. It was beautiful. This was just a shell of the old one. And granted, they were grateful to have a temple, but, but according to the prophecies, this is not. it was supposed to be a glorious thing where God came back to the temple and, and everybody was free. And the people were completely restored. And so to these people who are, are questioning God's faithfulness to them, and, and by the way, they, they themselves have not completely come back to God. There's still some unfaithfulness. We know this in Malachi's prophecy. He, he says this in chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. 
And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Now the language there in that last verse, refiner's fire and fuller's soap, is a language of chastisement, of judgment. In other words... He's coming, but judgment is coming too. What we must see is that the preparation that Malachi speaks of is, is judgment, chastisement, purification, like a refiner's fire. That's what that speaks of. And I mentioned the people's unfaithfulness. Malachi calls them out on it. The most famous phrase in Malachi, all of you know, don't you? You've heard sermons on it. Will a man rob God? Why does Malachi pose that question? Because they're, they're bringing offerings that are not in keeping with what they've, they've earned. They bring sick animals to sacrifice, not the best. Not the firstborn males, they're just bringing, they're just going through the motions. And, and so Malachi says, you, you want this restoration, but you need to understand that it's going to involve judgment. This is confirmed by the prophecy from Isaiah. Mark now quotes in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, this is Mark quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And one thing that you must note is in both quotes, there's something similar. Did you catch it? Verse 2, the messenger will prepare the way. Verse 3, the message is prepare the way of the Lord. So let's take a moment like we did with Malachi and consider the text of Isaiah in its context. Now, he's before Malachi. In fact, Isaiah is, is speaking to the people during the siege. The Babylonians have come up and they've surrounded the city and, and it is doom for sure. Malachi quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3, but let's back up a couple of verses. Here are the verses that precede that in Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. The prophet says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now listen to what Isaiah is saying. And then he, then he continues that with uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But, but, but what is Isaiah saying here? He has a message of comfort, doesn't he? A message of peace. But notice also that he mentions that there must be judgment, there must be pardon for sin. Do you see that in Isaiah's words? Jerusalem's iniquity must be pardoned. She has received from the Lord. In other words, there's judgment. Now, we've got to take 
all these verses, all these hints, these clues, and put them together to try to figure out, now what is Mark trying to say to us? What is this new beginning that Mark is trying to tell us? I hope you're beginning to see what he's talking about. That judgment must be enacted. The way of the Lord is going to be judgment. For God's people to receive this comfort that Isaiah speaks of, for there to be pardon for sins, there must be judgment carried out on someone. That's why it's good news. Do you see it? It's a lot to put all these pieces together, I, I admit. <laughs> we have one more clue. We'll try to get through here quickly. And there's one more piece of the puzzle that I want you to see. There's another Old Testament reference here that some people completely miss. Some of the commentaries don't even make mention of this. And it is to a prophet, but it's someone that we often don't consider a prophet, but he is maybe the primary prophet of the Old Testament. And that's Moses. We turn our attention to this figure that's mentioned here in our verses, the messenger. And this is our third and final point this morning. So, so we have a new beginning, an ancient promise, and now the messenger. Who is the messenger that Mark is speaking of? Well, our first reflex is what? John the Baptist. Right? And indeed he is. But is that who Mark is talking about? Remember this, just as it is written, is pointing back to verse 1. And indeed, he had a prefatory ministry preparing the way, did John the Baptist. He's an important part of uh, what's happening here in the early going. But, but John the Baptist, in, in another sense, is really insignificant. After chapter 1, he's only mentioned again, I think, in chapter 6, where uh, he's the one who calls out Herod for having the uh, illicit relationship. And remember, his head's cut off for that as he's in prison. The puzzle piece to which I refer in this quote, it's, it's in uh, verse 2. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Now, in your notes in your Bible, if it's a good study Bible, it's going to tell you that that's Malachi 3.1, Right? Show of hands, how many of you have a note in your Bible that tells you that? Okay, that's a lot of you. But listen, Malachi, that did not originate with him. Malachi took that from an older portion of Scripture. He took it from Exodus 23. 20. Now think back with me to the setting in Exodus. Now I know we keep going farther and farther back, right? Think back with me to Exodus 23 about what's happening and what is the setting, okay? You remember? 
Israel has just come out of Egypt. God has brought them to the foot of the mountain. He has given them the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. This is the covenant. Exodus 23 is part of the book of the covenant. And it says there in Exodus 23, 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Now, don't get hung up with angel. You, you're, you're thinking maybe, well, Exodus 23 uh, says angel and Malachi says messenger. Uh, it can be either one. That's what an angel is, right? An angel is a messenger. So here we have in the book of the covenant in Exodus a promise for people who are where? Where are they? They're in the wilderness. So we have another prophecy here that tells us that there is a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And as God is speaking to Moses in Exodus 23, he says, I will send my messenger before you to prepare the way. John the Baptist has a special relationship here. He's a, he's a messenger. Indeed, he is. But I believe that the primary focus of what we need to be getting out of this, these first three verses of Mark, Mark did not write the story of John the Baptist. He's writing the good news of Jesus. This is the messenger. It is crying out. What Mark is telling us, brothers and sisters, is that the one who has come is the Lord. Prepare the way of Yahweh. That's who this Jesus is. The Son of God. God the Son. <laughs> he is crying in the wilderness. Where is John? Is John in Jerusalem? Is John at the temple? No. <laughs> People are leaving that going out to the wilderness to hear this message, to repent. This is what John is doing. We're going to talk a lot more about John the Baptist next week, God willing. For us to see Jesus as Mark does, we must take all of the scriptures from Israel's prophets from Moses to Malachi, and even the Apostle Paul, who says in Colossians 1.18, listen to this verse from Paul, of our Lord Jesus, he says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is who Mark is telling us has come. Those prophets, those scriptures, when we unroll them and read, we're talking about someone coming. He's come. And God has come to be with us. And the only way that God could be with his people is if, if 
somehow there was judgment passed for sin. How could God come and be with his people? Only if they were cleansed. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's what Jesus has come and done for us. That's what he's done for us. That's why, God, we can come here and gather today and know that the Lord is with us because someone has paid the ransom. Remember our verse? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, how thankful we are for your holy word. And we're thankful for the good news of the gospel. We're thankful that the message of the prophets is coherent and unified and always pointing to our blessed Lord Jesus who has come to take away our sin through the ransom paid through his precious blood so that we can be with you. We rejoice in this glorious gospel and we give you ourselves today all our thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.